Hi, and welcome. I'm Steve Martorano, and this is the Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the Behavioral Corner. Please, hang around a while. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Here we are. Uh, on the corner, the behavioral corner. Uh, I'm the I'm chief hanger. I hang all the time on the behavioral corner. And uh, what we do here is we bring together interesting people who can tell us what they're doing and how their lives have been impacted uh, for good or bad one way or another, and how they've made their way to the other side, which is what we're all trying to do, get to the other side where everything is, you know, copacetic. <laughs> That's all the behavioral corner is about. We like to talk about it as a uh, podcast about everything. I guess it's Women's History Month is what we, we've been focusing on here in March. So we uh, reached out to as many uh, women to talk about their experiences as possible. We got another dandy on the corner for us uh, this week. Carme Alexander is an artist and a, a veteran of the United States military. Those two things um, are joined together in an interesting sort of way. She's also a media director for a foundation called the Birdwell Foundation. And we'll find out about those more later. But I want to welcome Carme Alexander to the corner. Carme, thanks for joining us. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. So uh, can you, uh, before we get into some of the issues you've had with uh, depression and how you've used art to help you with that regard, uh, tell us a little about your background. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? All of that. From the time I was born, all the way to 19, I was in Buffalo, New York. Yeah, big family. Uh, what? Yeah, we have a small little nucleus family. My great grandmother migrated from the south up there, and so it was just her and my grandfather, and then my grandfather and my grandmother. You know, after. you have siblings? Yes, I have one sibling, a year younger sister, and a brother who's four years younger, so I have two. Right. You gravitated towards the military, correct? Yes, yes, I did. Uh, my uncle was in the Navy. He was, as a matter of fact, he was a Navy SEAL. And so because of him, um, I decided to go into the military also so I can get a chance to travel. Yeah, yeah. How old were you when you uh, signed up? 20. Oh, yeah. So I turned 21 in basic training. You were a youngin'. Mm-hmm. You were a youngin'. Um, so an uncle impresses you. You'll, you'll join the service. What were you expecting when you joined the, the military to get out of it? An education? or uh, 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 Education. Um, and to be able to travel the world and meet new people, that mm-hmm. was that was my way of getting out of the city. I, 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 you know, I've tried other times prior because I always had to come back home. So the military was one way to, you know, just improve my life, see something different, go to school, you know. Where did you do your basic training? My basic training was at uh, Fort Lindenwood, Fort Lost. We call it Fort Lost in the Woods. Fort Lindenwood, Missouri. Missouri, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Well, you get around. Born in mm-hmm. Georgia. Raised in Buffalo, and now you mm-hmm. find yourself in Missouri, of all places. Uh, yeah, that was my first time really, you know, that was different. That was really different. Yeah. Missouri was. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. How was it different? I've never seen so many trees before. It, it just seemed like we, we were in the middle of a national forest. That's what it felt like. It was my first time experiencing that. Yeah, I'm a, uh, a lifelong dedicated civilian. So I don't know much about how it works in the military, but you go through your basic training and then I guess you either they choose for you or you, you figure out what path you want to follow. What did you see your military career uh, developing into? Well, originally when I went in, I went in as a 55 Bravo ammunition specialist, but um, I saw a career 
when initially right. joining in. You thought you were in for the long haul. Yes, I wanted to do 20 years and then retire and then move on to another career. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're asking a lot of questions about the military because it was a signal event in Carmay's life. And uh, also because of her work now, I failed to mention that the Wordwell Foundation, and we'll get into it deeper, uh, is a foundation that offers support for veterans mm-hmm. who are battling um, post-traumatic stress. So that's what all the military questions are about. You didn't do 20 years in the military. No, were, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. And, and tell us about your experience in the military. Stuff happened that you didn't expect and that you, you, you had to deal with, right? Things happen so fast. You know, I went into basic training and then I went to AIT for formal training for what I was going to do. And then from there, I flew to uh, Germany for my first duty assignment. You know, as soon as I got there, I was by myself. I was young, naive, you know, just wanted to make friends and get around and be able to, you know, meet new people. But uh, upon arriving in Germany, uh, I had a couple in the first few weeks, I had some assaults happen to, to me because of doing that. And that was like between the first two weeks of me getting over there to my temporary duty station. I was, you know, raped twice. Is that right? 20 yeah. years old, 20, 21 years old, uh, away from home, thousands of miles, first time friendly and winds up getting you raped. We're going to deal primarily with the repercussions of that, the depression yes. that followed it, and then your art, which is really important. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious about, because there's a growing awareness now of assaults in the military and how they've mm-hmm. been overlooked. Did you report your assaults to anyone? Yes, I did. And when I reported it, it was like it could have happened or didn't happen or you know, your word against theirs. It was brought to me in, in that sort of way. Like I had to have like proof of being, right. you know, be- beat up. And uh, be- I didn't have all that outside. You don't, that doesn't always happen. You know, all, people don't always get beat up, you know. Did you get the sense that people you were telling this to wanted it to go away and didn't want to deal with it? There was some interviews done to the to the people that I, but one had flew out the country the next day. So I couldn't, but the other one it was a denial, it was a higher ranking person, you know, his word against mine. And then being by yourself, you know, I didn't have any friends. My mother was, you know, all the way in the United States. And so I just took it all in and just kept it there and tried to move forward. Yeah. And all this happened between 1994 and 97, right? Yes. I guess it was 94, between 94 and 95 that year. Yeah. You know, and what you did was I forgive the uh, the pun, but you soldiered on. Uh, and on. then you had a pretty serious physical uh, um, accident or a spinal injury or something. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And so after that, I you know went to my duty station and I always tell people that I had the, the best and the worst times over in Germany because we, we, we did a lot of traveling while we was over there, going to different countries and ski trips and visiting people and, and you know, just embracing the culture over there. But uh, while I was doing that, I got into a car accident on an Audubon. You, you hear those Audubon stories, people driving really fast and careless. And I was that person, you know, but I was in the back seat. The roads were slippery and the car went out of control and it flipped off the Audubon into the tree line. Mm-hmm. And I fell out the hatchback of the, of the car and landed on the Audubon before the car flipped into the tree line. So I had uh, caught the worst of the uh, accident. Yeah. yeah. How long were you in hospital uh, after that? I was in hospital for two months. Um, I had a C2 hangman's fracture. So the helicopter had to come and pick me up and take me to the nearest hospital in Frankfurt. I stayed there for a month. And what they had to, to wire my head to the bed 
then in Frankfurt, they ended up putting a, a mm-hmm. halo on my head. Because so once they put that contraption on me, you know, they sent me to an American uh, a military base hospital in Mainz, put me up there, and I stayed in the halo for about five months. You know, once I learned how to walk again, I knew there was no need for me to stay in the hospital. They sent me back to the barracks with this halo on, with this machine. Had really? With that, too. Well, you can certainly see in that short period of time how something you thought was going to be 20 years turned out to be, no, man, maybe I better try something else. So what happens to a young girl who expected uh, one thing from a military career that involved a serious accident and a physical uh, sexual assaults? You must have been um, pretty messed up trying to figure it out, right? Yes. Thinking back, yes, during that time, I was so used to pushing things down and stuffing it in and keeping moving forward. You're not aware of any of all that. You just keep moving forward to the next destination, not even understanding that a lot of things that happen are going to affect you later on. I was mm-hmm. just wanted to get out to the military and forget all about it. When I got out, I, I didn't want to go to the reserves. You know, I didn't want anything affiliated with the military when I got. I was like, throw that behind me too, you know? Mm-hmm. So when did you start to suffer uh, psychological problems? I know you battled depression. You press this stuff down, you repress it. Uh, at what point does it start to become a problem? It started becoming a problem in the early 2000s after I had my children. Um, I, I, you know, I, I went on about my life, got married, um, went to school, and then had children. But things started creeping up. Um, hatred for men started creeping up. Hatred for, you know at my job, you know, the, the people I work with. I was a manager. I was a manager at a retail store for 12 years. But even there, I was finding myself in a lot of situations, not getting along with the people I work with. And, and preferably, it wasn't the ones under me, the, my, the employees. It was the management above me. Since I pushed those things in the military behind me, I thought maybe that was stemming from my father, mother, mother, father, you know, father issues. You know, my father wasn't there. You know, he was there partially. But I thought it was from that. But it wasn't. It was from what happened to me in the military mm-hmm, and it crept mm-hmm. up into my marriage. You know, I, I, initially I blaming him for, you know, the marriage issues, but you know, it takes two to tangle. <laughs> of course, you know. Obviously this stuff is not having a great effect on your life. When and, and under what circumstances did you start looking for help for your depression? Okay. So I started looking for help um, during my marriage through my own assurance, because I wasn't, you know, having anything in it. When I got out of the military, I was only at 10% um, disability for the neck accident. Mm-hmm. So I could have pursued it earlier so I can get a more percentage for the disability because, but I wanted to just not think of that. So I was paying out of my own pocket for, you know, physical therapist and psychiatrist and spilling out my guts on issues that's going wrong around me. I had been seeing a psychiatrist for like uh, about eight years, you know, talking to them about the issues of my job, issues of my husband, issues of everything around me, you know, in my mind, wondering why things just not simply going well for me. I guess in the beginning, they were primarily looking at this as an anger management issue, right? You're yes. just an angry woman. You tangle yes. with everybody. Yes. Right. Yes. An angry black woman on top of that, you know. On top I'll, of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> there were times I'd be really, really, really nice. And, you know, and then the other times I'm, I'm like, Bam! Out of nowhere. Why am I doing this? Why am I feeling like this? Why am I behaving this way? Why am I started drinking a lot on top of the medication that the psychiatrist is giving me? Right. You know, it's so interesting that, you know, that depression manifests itself in so many different ways. Certainly anger is an obvious one, but it's particularly difficult when you're trying to get help for that. When you walk in and no matter how well intended the psychiatrist is and everything, 
you're right. I mean, they put you right in the, oh, I get it. That's the angry black woman who can't get along with anybody at work because she's just angry. It really does diminish the problem of minorities like yourself trying to get mental health. If, if it's like, oh, it's, it's a syndrome. It's the way they behave. Right. It has nothing you, to do with it. Nothing to do with it. It's what happened to me and I can't deal with it. I'm not dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, when does it start to, uh, to balance out for you and what role did your artwork play in that? It started balancing out when I had to start looking for answers for myself. After years of seeing a psychiatrist, one psychiatrist asked me a question one year. I remember sitting there, ah, and they did this to me, and they did that to me. Ah, you know, I was doing all that. And then he looked at me, he said, uh, why do you allow people to move you? Nobody can't. Yes, if you're not careful, you can allow people to make you shift in your emotions. And then that happens all the time, you know? If you don't realize that, then you can find yourself in, going in all type of directions. And you think you're in control, but you're really just reacting to everybody. You're just around. reacting. I guess some family members that sort of encourage you artistically, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My, my grandmother was an artist. Her major in, in college was a, uh, to be an English major, and her minor was a drawing, was, was, art, was an art. So she, she was always doing illustrations all the time. But she always encouraged me to 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 use my uh, you know my abilities. Like as, I guess as a child, I was the one sitting at the kitchen table with the crayons and the pencils, always sketching stuff out. Drawing it just it just worked for me, you know. And 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 I just kept on doing it, and they kept on encouraging. When you were going through all of this that you've described, your army experience, the uh, the accident, your post, were you doing any art then, or did it come out mm-hmm. uh, come out late? Yeah, you were doing art. Yes, I, I've always kept it. Uh, uh, during high school, I, I did a lot of paintings and drawings. It was always a, a hobby. And there was just a little, you know, sketches here and there, even in the military. But you didn't immediately gravitate towards art as a therapy for your depression. It was something you always did. When did you begin to um, experience the fact that it was helping you feel better? In 2016, a lady uh, named Karundi Daniels, I'll never forget her. She made me aware that the paintings I was doing was uh, really actually great, you know, and that I could use it for healing because I was just so used to doing it. I was like a right. mechanical. I was almost mechanical with everything. And because mm-hmm. at one time, that was the only thing I could focus on. I remember years back before that I could focus on coming home, working on the paints, working on my artwork, going to work, coming home, drinking, you know. So all that was all at the same time, not aware that. That was what I gravitated to, you know, during those years when I ended up going through that. Because in 2011, I ended up having to walk out of my life. That was the turning point to doing my artwork. I resigned from my job. I resigned from my marriage. I resigned from my whole entire lifestyle to begin doing uh, my artwork and finding out the reasons why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. I even stopped seeing a psychiatrist and taking medication during this time also. Mm -hmm. It's almost Mm -hmm. like I, I dropped everything to start out clean right because that wasn't working let's try something else it's a heck of a price to have to pay to walk away from all of that during that period of time when you're when you're because you're an artist you're born an artist and you've been as you say using it not for a therapy but ultimately becomes something that helps you did your art change along along that period of time did it go from being one kind of expression to another kind of expression before i think the art i was doing was was 
kind of a not I won't say not angry or anything like that, but it was a aggressive. Sure. My sister told me one. She told me she said, you know, every every year, every two years, your artwork changes based on your living, you know. So it, it was angry art when I was married, but then after I left and started trying to find myself, the artwork became more spiritual based. Uh, Carmi, tell us how you found the Birdwell Foundation and tell us what they do and your job there. In 2017, I was given a phone number with the PTSD Foundation um, because I, I was told by a psychiatrist girlfriend of mine that you have trauma that you have to work with. And during this time, I was homeless. Is it, by the time that I found out about PTSD, I was homeless, no money, zero money, you know, sleeping from couch to couch. And uh, all this stuff from back in the military, what happened to me those years started coming back. And, you know, I'm still at 10 percent in 2020 years, 20 something odd years later. I'm still at 10 percent for my neck injuries. Can't do much as far as the job concerned because I, psychologically I can't go back to work and physically I can't go back to work. So I was just, you know, I was nowhere. Called um, Roger Marshall Jr. And at the time he was at for PTSD Foundation. They didn't necessarily have anything for women with PTSD, but he told me to hang on because you know, soon that there will be some programs for the women. That may be one of the first female veterans to come on board, you know. And so I hung on for a couple of years and then finally found a way to, to, to use my abilities that I have as an artist to work with the organization so we could begin a stronger media push and then introduce some female veterans. And then that's when, you know, he found out about uh, I can do graphic designs. And I like to tell it around with videos and graphic designs on the side when I have a painting block. And that's how I was able to come in. Where is the Birdwell Foundation? It's a national organization, but it's based out of Houston, Texas. And you've been there a year now as their media director, correct? Yes. Long, strange trip, but it feels like you're right exactly where you ought to be. Is that some of your artwork behind you? Yes, this is. All right, let's see it. Okay, let me show it to you. It's huge. It's a Sri Yantra. Have you ever heard of Sri Yantra? No, I don't think so. That's a sacred geometrical design of triangles, five going down, four going up. Oh, I see. Wow, look at the size of that. Is that a painting or a, what is that's a painting, right? All right. So tell me about this. This represents what as far as you're concerned. And so what this represents is a yantra. Yantra is, is considered to be a, 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 a tool for meditation. Ah, okay, sit down again. I want to talk to you about the meditation, and that's all it's it's a beautiful piece of work. Thank you. Thank you. It's like a tool mechanism. When you look at the, when you look into the middle bindu area, it forms shapes and sizes, shapes and stuff like that. Put you in a trance ah. so that when you're meditating, it, it can block out a lot of the other stuff that goes on inside yeah, the subconscious. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, that's interesting. I thought you had to go into a dark room and look at a candle to meditate, but I guess there are all kinds of ways. Have you shown your art in uh, any galleries uh, where you are? No, not where I am right now. There were some paintings down in Columbus, Georgia. Uh-huh. When I was living down there, because that's where I was living after I got to the military. But other than that, no, they're just here at the house and I give them to family. It's, it's terrific. Do you, have you uh, had the occasion uh, in your work with vets with uh, post-traumatic stress to introduce them to art? Not yet. That's what I'm working on. I'm working on right now. As a matter of fact, I was talking with the Marissa Retreat. And she was talking about doing, maybe possibly doing a program because it takes a couple of days to do these type of paintings. You've been in touch with people from Retreat Behavioral Health and you might, uh, and I know they're very excited about it. They're the ones that told me about you. Uh, you might wind up teaching an art-related therapy class uh, mm-hmm. with, with Retreat. So that's, 
That's very exciting. Well, I can mm-hmm. see, I mean, I don't know you, I just met you, but I heard your story and I, I can see you because of the miracle of Zoom and you look happy. You don't, uh, you don't seem angry. No. Um, <laughs> and that, no that's, and that's, a, that's a constant work that you do every day. You know, you put forth what you want to see in your life. And so that's what I learned. I learned to put forth what I want to see, not the stuff that I don't want to see. I focused on what I want to see. It's almost the same thing what I did before. Now I just know how to do it and, and I'm aware of it, how to go about it. You know, if you keep traveling on this path, you'll be able to help other people with that, that same techniques and and insights. Uh, Carme Alexander, thanks so much. It was a pleasure meeting you and having you on the corner. And I know that if, if you do wind up doing work with Retreat, we will cross paths again. Thanks so much. Continued success with the art. You're welcome. And thank you. Every storm runs out of rain, according to the great Maya Angelou. Her words can remind us of one very simple truth. That storms do cross our paths, but they don't last forever. So the question remains, how do we ride out this storm of COVID-19 and all the other storms life may throw our way? Where do we turn when issues such as mental health or substance abuse begin to deeply affect our lives? Look to Retreat Behavioral Health. With a team of industry-leading experts, they work tirelessly to provide compassionate, holistic, and affordable treatment. Call to learn more today. 855-802-6600. Retreat Behavioral Health. Where healing happens. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On the Behavioral Corner.